Hey everybody and welcome to the National Code Enforcement Network. Uh, my name is Pete Roque, I'm with Four Leaf and today we have our guest Sharon Guidry from the City of Santa Monica. Sharon is the Code Enforcement Manager for Santa Monica, California. I've known Sharon for a number of years, somebody I've really looked up to for a number of years and I actually had the pleasure of serving in a city next to her. So, um, and if you know Sharon, you can, um, the city that she was, as soon as you cross a certain street, you just knew you were in her city. That's how <laughs> awesome she is. You, you know, she made that city sparkle. So with that, Sharon, can you introduce yourself, please? Good morning, everyone. As Pete said, my name is Sharon Guidry. I am the code enforcement manager for the city of Santa Monica. I um, um, have been in code enforcement for 26 years, started in 1994 in the city of Linwood as a code enforcement officer and over the years have uh, promoted throughout the profession. Um, I've served as a code enforcement supervisor for the city of Carson, um, enforcement services manager for the city of Culver City, neighborhood preservation manager for the city of Lakewood, and now a code enforcement manager for the city of Santa Monica. So in the city, city of Santa Monica, for you guys that don't know, it's always in, it's uh, where you see all the palm trees and all awesome looking stuff. Um, uh, if you ever want to see the top echelon of uh, street performers, you go to the city of Santa Monica. I've been there myself. I've seen some awesome ones, but some of them aren't, aren't always permitted. So we'll have uh, Sharon discuss that in a little bit. But um, normally what I like to do is, you know, just kind of get to know our our guests and today. So Sharon, can you tell us how you actually got started in the code enforcement profession? Sure. Uh, years ago, um, I started in municipal government in 1990 and I worked for the city of Linwood as an uh, admin assistant in the water division. And uh, just around, you know, 1994, a friend of mine who also worked um, in the city of Linwood, he was a code enforcement officer and in the process of being promoted to a building inspector. And so he approached me and he says, hey, you know, I'm going to be promoted and my position as a code enforcement officer is going to come available. Um, you know, are you interested? And if you're interested, I'll take you out on some ride alongs and get you familiar with what what we do. And so, you know, at the time I was young, um, I was a, a mom of two, a single mom of two and uh, code enforcement paid a little more than what I was making as an admin assistant in the water department. And so I said, yeah, you know, I, I'm interested. And so I went along uh, with him on ride alongs and, and, you know, I was able to learn and understand code enforcement. And also at that time, a lot about building inspection because, you know, he was uh, going to be transitioning to, to a building inspector. And so when the position came open, I applied and because I had, you know, the experience through the through the ride alongs, um, you know, I ranked number one and was selected. And um, I spent um, nine years, uh, nine years with the city of Linwood and, and had an opportunity during that time to do so many, um, so many things um, uh, and take on some leadership roles um, in the staff and, and became the acting code enforcement manager even for for a period of time. So I got here by a, a friend and, um, you know, telling me about it, investing, in, you know, his time in, in helping me understand the profession. And, um, and initially when I started, Pete, to be honest, it was really just 
because, uh, you know, income wise, I needed the income, but it wasn't very long after becoming a code enforcement officer and seeing the difference that that the enforcement made in the lives of people in the community that I realized this was really much more than just, um, you know, earning a, a paycheck. And I lived in the city at the time. And so driving through when I was off on the weekends with my kids and seeing properties that were blighted, but with my notice of violation and working with the property owners, you know, they, um, it had improved the quality of life for, for the, the, the residents uh, who lived on the property and throughout, you know, the neighborhood, you know, I just really started to see um, code enforcement and what we do in a, in a much uh, more impactful way. Now, did you, did you see when uh, you transitioned over from uh, the water department over to code enforcement, were there any transferable skills that, that you used? And, and if, if so, what were they? So there were some transferable skills because in the water department, I worked in water maintenance. So, you know, where the the guys, the water meter readers, the, the maintenance guys that, that repaired the water main breaks and, you know, and those sorts of things. Everything, you know, water maintenance, because Linwood had his own water department, compliance with the city had two active water reservoirs and uh, seven active water wells at the time. And so the water department, our division was responsible for inspecting those, those facilities, making sure they were compliant. Uh, and as the administrative person, I was responsible for ensuring that these things happen. And so as far as complying with regulations and then the, um, the skill set that I um, had developed, you know, with keeping things on track when it comes to, you know, meeting regulatory requirements, I think that that, yes, trans, trans, um, transferred pretty smoothly, even though I didn't really realize it at the time that I was, I was doing it, that it would, it would be transferable, but it certainly, it certainly was. Also, and for those folks that, um, that have their own utilities and their own jurisdictions, a lot of times that's a great way to find out uh, property owner information. I yeah. Mean, water, yes. And then people don't think about that. And sometimes we have to use those resources and, you know, you being able to say, Hey, boom, Hey, that person has a water account. He has a phone number. Let me give him a call. It makes your jobs a lot easier, you know? And so after that, um, you transitioned over to, you became a supervisor, correct? Yeah. So I left uh, Linwood in, um, in 90, actually. Um, I started in Carson in 97. So the numbers don't add up, right? I started in Carson in 97, but I actually left Linwood in 99. Uh, and I worked the two jobs um, for two years simultaneously, two full-time, two full-time jobs, seven days a week. Um, and also I went to school, went back to college uh, three nights a week um, at the time. And so I went to Carson as a code enforcement officer in 1999. And then uh, by 2000, I was promoted um, to a senior code enforcement uh, officer and then moved to the um, planning division. And I spent six years in the planning division uh, and learned all things, um, all things land use. And I was responsible for all of the land use investigations and um, Oh, I think uh, sharing you froze on me. Can you hear me? Oh, so we are sharing that froze. Oh, there she is. She's came back and 
it happens and this is technology and we gotta love it so welcome back sharon and it happens we caught you mid-sentence yeah so um so i went to the planning department i spent six years in the planning department and um and i was responsible for the enforcement and one of the the great opportunities about being promoted to the senior code enforcement officer in the planning division in Carson was it was a newly created position. And I remember uh, when I was selected for the position, the city manager at the time said, you know, Sharon, you're in a very unique position uh, because you are going to be the first senior code enforcement officer in the city um, and you're going to be in the planning department and this is your opportunity to make that position what you want it to be. If you want it to be a high level uh, administrative enforcement position, very professional, you have an opportunity to, to do that. You, you can transform it into what you want it to be. If you want it to be a uniform position and go out and do property inspections, you have the ability to transform it into what you want because you're going to set the stage and those that follow you will then follow what you establish. And I took that and, um, and created the position uh, based on what I had desired, number one, to give to the community to, and to get out of the position and out of the um, uh, profession. And it was a great opportunity. And then, uh, I'm sorry. So we had a quick question in, and uh, this one came from Melvin. And he's asking if there's a code enforcement union and there isn't a union, but there is uh, different associations. And Sharon, people don't know this. Um, a lot of times people ask, hey, Sharon, why aren't you involved in the state union or state association? But people don't realize that there's a lot of history where Sharon was a big integral part of combining both Northern and Southern California to create one association. And yeah. people forget that, you know, um, a lot of yeah. times, you know, I, I did my stint on the state union um, association for a number of years. And, you know, I've moved on since. And, you know, I still support because it's my state. Uh, but, you know, we, we all get busy and, you know, it's a big commitment. So there is no union. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of associations. The, there's the local, your state. There's local regional chapters. There's, um, there's the National Association and there's the International Code Council. And they're all great resources. And, you know, I would really recommend for anybody to go to any of them. And also, um, now talking, let's go back to you. And I apologize, but, you know, we <laughs> no, do get questions and, yeah. and things like that. So um, one, one of the things is, uh, you know, having that leadership opportunity to create something, it, it's a beautiful thing, but it always comes from somebody believing in, you know, in you and, and you know, me knowing you. I've seen the changes that you've made to jurisdictions, you know, it may not always be, you know, when you go into a jurisdiction, not, you know, so a lot of times people are like, well, that's the, uh, the way it's always been done or, you know, and, and, and so there's a shift and you always have personnel issues that you have to deal with, but that's, you know, part of being a part of a supervisor, you have to learn how to, how to mesh well. So, um, what, one of the things, um, that, you know, you as a supervisor, what was the biggest transition from going from a field officer to a supervisor? And then the second part is, what was it that you really wanted to focus on when you were you had the opportunity to create your own program? Yeah, the biggest transition going from an officer to a supervisor. Um, as much as I, th I, I thought I was prepared to do that um, with the mentorship that I had received and, and, and positioning myself to, to understand what 
it took to be a supervisor and the difference between a supervisor and, and an officer. One of the, the uh, toughest transitions was um, promoting from within and then being responsible to supervise those that I called my friends. And I think um, expectations of having unreasonable expectations was probably what made the transition, um, uh, you know, a, a little a little bumpy. And I and I learned a lot from that uh, because I expected and, and unreasonably that because they were my friends, they were just going to automatically do everything that we knew we were supposed <laughs> to be doing that we didn't always do. But now that Sharon's a supervisor, we're going to make sure we uh, that she's successful. And uh, and then on the other side, you know, the expectation from 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 those officers who were my friends was, oh, Sharon is the manager now. So, you know, Sharon knows what we do. So we're good. And so both sides have these unreasonable expectations, you know. And so obviously what I wanted to do was come in and do a good job and help grow the operation, serve the community and do it most effective and efficiently as possible. And that was my goal. And so there was, um, a, you know, a tough transition. I'm happy to say that, you know, we worked through it and those friends are still friends now. Here we are, you know, years later and we're still we're still very close. But, you know, it was it was really a trans. It was really a tough transition my first time around. And I wanted to make sure I didn't make that mistake. Uh, again, and I set in my expectations. Um, you know, coming in, there's always uh, this expectation that there's an opportunity for change when you get a new supervisor, you know, and then they put the responsibility in a supervisor to kind of make changes in areas where you know the administration has previously you know believe there could be changes and so you you come in and you don't want to just come in and totally be the change agent agent in an organization that have long-term employees but you've been charged with doing that and figuring out that balance developing the relationships with your staff and then also you know, ensuring that you um you deliver the and meet the expectations of those that that put you in that position is is something that um you know becomes very important to to balance when you become a supervisor now when when you when you got into uh to the city of carson as a supervisor uh did you did you hire anybody or was that later down the road so yeah when i when i um became a supervisor i had a full staff you know in addition to code enforcement in carson i was also responsible for parking enforcement and for the security officers the city has security officers and they were under code enforcement and so I um, eventually had to hire to replace my position since I was promoted um, from within and then over the years it's just been you know I've, I've um, hired and promoted you know a lot of officers on uh, those with experience and those that um, you know didn't have as much experience but we you know could uh, invest in them and develop them into integrate officers. Now, um, you know, being a seasoned uh, manager now versus back then, do you see your hiring standards have changed? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I think, you know, back then, when you know, in my earlier days of management, you know, it was really important uh, for me uh, 
to get people who were already seasoned as well and can hit the ground running. So there's really no gap um, in the ability to deliver the service because I wanted to deliver the service. It was really important. Um, and then over time, um, I've learned to utilize my resources. Here in Santa Monica, I have 11 officers, elite code enforcement um, officer, two code enforcement supervisors under me, and, uh, and three admin staff. One of those admin staff is also a supervisor. So, um, so I utilize my, my leadership team to evaluate, um, you know, uh, candidates and, and not necessary and to meet where we are now in this time, we may not need, because we have a great team, we may not need the best of the group. Um, we may look at fit or development or, you know, different things now. And I utilize my team as we're evaluating that and then to help me, um, help me do that. And, and oftentimes it is we need the best and the most seasoned at this time because we don't have time to slow down to train. And then other times when the supervisors have the time to invest, then we will, um, we will, you know, hire somebody who, who we see that we can develop. So I've come a long way with um, with believing that, you know, we need to get seasoned officers in so we can keep the continuity going and we can continue to deliver the service. And, and one of the, one of the things, you know, and, you know, following your career, I, you know, I've seen you in different, um, different types of um, jurisdictions. Uh, for example, in city of Lakewood, when we were neighbors, uh, you know, everything went through a PIO, you know, a public information officer versus, you know, somebody goes straight to you in yeah. Santa Monica. So, um, coming, um, what has been a advantage or disadvantages of being able to transition from one type of community that may be very political to, or very uh, conservative to a more liberal or more kind of lackadaisical environment? So what, what do you see the difference in advantages and disadvantages as a, as a manager? For me, I think the, um, the advantage is that I have I had an opportunity to work for multiple jurisdictions. So I understood that that things are different, you know, where you go, um, wherever you go. You know, each city is different. It has its own uniqueness. Um, like you said, the city of Lakewood was like a bedroom community, but very structured. Um, um, you know, the city of Culver City, you know, when I managed the enforcement services uh, division and park enforcement there, it's a very different city on the west side. You know, what's happening on the west side versus, you know, going going east. And so the advantage is just the experience with different um, jurisdictions and then also just networking with different people over the years to find out what folks are doing in all different types of um, jurisdictions. So you can take that into a city that's very unique, like Santa Monica, and very, very busy. And, and I'll tell you, even after, you know, I think by when I came to Santa Monica, I'd already been in code enforcement, you know, 20, 21 years. And I still experience things in Santa Monica that I had never encountered before because of the uniqueness, you know, of the city. And the advantage was having folks to call, still having, you know, resources to call and talk things through uh, with folks in order to, um, you know, try to get it right most of the time. And, and one of the reasons why we have this show, it's just the National Code Enforcement Network. Um, and when, uh, you know, we see the city of Santa Monica in the news or you see the city of Santa Ana in the news or San Diego. And, and, you know, it's not just California, but, you know, Orlando and, you know, 
Texas, states in Texas. So we see everything, and and you know we love hearing from. I wouldn't say the horse's mouth, but we're from the source, you know. Um, you know, over the years, I've seen you know city of Santa. I think we're going to skip uh, skip around back to Culver City and yeah. and Lakewood, but you know, um, you, you see the city of Santa Monica in the news sometimes. You know, for example, um, you guys had some high uh, profile cases with Airbnb or the scooters. You know, I mean, uh, scooters were just a fad, but they're still there. And cities are some other cities are not dealing with it. So how did you how do you deal with these uh, new issues? Because um, even though they're not new issues, but you being in the media puts you at the forefront of enforcement. So how how do you deal with those? So, you know, I dealt with it from a mindset that, you know, I wanted to make sure that we were able to spotlight um, just the code enforcement profession, number one, because, you know, I think we are under undervalued in a lot of ways. And so in September 2017, you know, Bird Incorporated just came and dropped hundreds of scooters in the city of Santa Monica to launch, you know, their scooters. And we started getting calls about these things in the in the public right away. And we had never heard of it before. So, you know, we sent the officers out to to find these things. And and we didn't know anything about them. We didn't know how they work. We didn't have any regulations that, that address things like that. And, and the community, Santa Monica community is very vocal. So we had really a, a, an even split of, um, you know, citizens in the community that loved it, you know, and then we had those that hated it. And so there was a lot of um, pressure to, uh, to address these things, but you know, where do you land? And we had to do that quickly. And and in Santa Monica, you know, the city council and the city manager is very supportive of of, um, of code enforcement. And so they look to 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 me and to my to my division to figure out how do we enforce this? What do we do? What do we have on the books? Because enforcement is number one. We don't just allow people to come and start um, you know, to disrupt the community without uh, going through the process or consequences. And that's the, um, that's the environment in Santa Monica. So we had to work really closely with our mobility division to come up with a pilot program uh, to just kind of see how these things work in the community. And, and at the same time that we're creating a pilot program, I'm simultaneously creating an enforcement program, you know, and, and um, engaging and contributing to what ultimately the rules and regs, you know, we're going to be. And now we just launched our second pilot program and, and it worked pretty well. It was um, uh, the first pilot program worked pretty well and the second pilot program, you know, worked well. Um, and, and they're here and they're moving in the city. We have four operators and it's going great, but it was definitely, um, you know, uh, so we had to do an evaluation immediately, come up with a solution immediately, enforce immediately, and then resolve the, the conflict. We have to do public education and, and so many things just kind of on the fly. And that's the type of environment that Santa Monica, you know, brings, you just, you just never know. And, and with short-term rental, Short-term rental, like you said, it's been around for a long time. People rent rooms and things like that. But I think, you know, the um, evolution of Airbnb just kind of changed what what we um, what we knew it to be before and having a platform that made it easy 
uh, and, you know, to share, you know, spaces. And so, you know, Santa Monica has always been, um, you know, um, the council priority is um, uh, preserving affordable housing and, and rental housing units and long-term residency because, you know, in Santa Monica, we believe that long-term residents contribute, you know, to the everyday um, government operation. Their voices are, are heard and they participate in, in, you know, civic activities. And that's really important in Santa Monica. So uh, when I came on board in 2015, uh, the city had just adopted a short-term rental ordinance, although it had previously been enforced through the zoning code. They um, they adopted an ordinance and moved all of the um, the laws and regulations and clarified that it's prohibited in Santa Monica. So in case you don't know out there, so to rent a home unhosted, just your whole whole home, your whole unit in Santa Monica is against the law. Uh, you are allowed to share your home and rent as long as you live in your home and, and rent a room through Airbnb, home away, and, and all of those things in Santa Monica. But to rent out uh, through Airbnb or another platform, a whole unit in Santa Monica is illegal. And so in addition to clarifying that short-term rental was um, illegal in Santa Monica, the city invested in two code enforcement, uh, funding two full-time code enforcement officer positions and an admin uh, position to support the um, short-term rental enforcement. And I directly oversee the short-term rental enforcement and the shared mobility enforcement. And, um, and we just, you know, hit the ground running. I developed the enforcement um, program and it was so successful, um, I guess you would say that we were sued. That was in the news. We were sued by Airbnb and HomeAway. And, um, and the city was successful all the way up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, we were successful in defending the um, ordinance and the constitutionality of it. Uh, and that was um, just a really uh, great experience and process to be, um, to be a part of. Um, and ultimately it resulted in a settlement between the city of Santa Monica and Airbnb and HomeAway that assists with our um, uh, continued enforcement of, uh, of illegal short-term rentals. Yeah, so we have a question from Jose Roy. Uh, does the city enforce any regulations against the hosting companies? And I know the city um, went after a platform uh, the platform for some time, but uh, from my understanding under the section uh, 290, which the Indecency Act, uh, you know, the, the companies tend to say, hey, we're not responsible for what people are doing. And I know, I think that was part of the loss, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, yeah. the city of Santa Monica. Yeah, so um, because the, the hosting platforms are 100%, are you know, mm -hmm. online uh, services, you know, the basis of the federal lawsuit was that they were protected by the Communications and Decency Act because they were an online pro, um, platform and we were subjecting them to, to enforcement and some pretty significant um, fines for violations. And so that is what was litigated, whether they were protected under the Communications and Decency Act or not. And the Ninth Circuit ruled in, in, in the city's favor that just because they are an online uh, platform, it doesn't give them the right to violate local regulations. And so as a result of the settlement, we don't currently enforce against the platforms. But under the terms of the, the settlement agreement, the platforms provide information to the city that helps advance our enforcement. 
And so we, um, it was, a, oh, I think, you know, probably a win-win situation where now the platforms are not subject to the enforcement and the significant fines that are associated with it. Um, but we get information more readily on these mo monthly reports um, on activities that we then use to, um, to enforce against the host um, uh, that are, are having, a, a, operating illegal short-term rentals. So, yeah. So and and what's unique uh, to the city of Santa Monica and we're, I'm sorry, I'm focusing on Santa Monica versus okay. you know, you as the manager, you know, it's, uh, you know, like there's a lot of uniqueness to to that city. Um, you know, like I've never been in a beach city. So you have tons of beach regulations, whether it's vendors or street performers or I mean, you know, the the, the, the your local uh, instructor, your Tai Chi instructor and the public space. I mean, so what, how do you how, how do you handle that vendors and, you know, and, and the amount of people? And one of the things that I hear a lot when we're doing these types of enforcement, hey, leave them alone. They're just trying to make a living. They're, they're not selling drugs. And, you know, and how 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 dangerous is that for your inspectors when they're having to have to go out there and regulate uh, some of these activities? And tell me a little bit about the activities as well that you see. Yeah. So, you know, the beach, um, the, the beach brings about its own unique uh, challenges and and we're responsible for them all. So on the beach area, we um, enforce, like you said, the vendor regulations. We enforce the performers, uh, fitness and surf instructors. I mean, we've literally had officers that have gotten on a uh, on a speedboat with a harbor patrol and had to go and pluck a, um, um, uh, an illegal um, surf instructor out of the water because they jumped in the water to avoid uh, to avoid a citation, and we deal with you know, <laughs> pedicabs uh, on the bike path and those things that are are unique to to the pier and beach environment. And you know, with the passage of SB nine forty six in California, it exacerbated an already challenging situation. You know, the the beach in the area is just so wide. It's a challenging thing to to travel by foot. It's a, a, a dangerous thing sometimes to travel by vehicle with so many folks on the beach. In Santa Monica, we have 90,000 um, residents in the city, but we receive over 400,000 visitors a day. And, and so there's a lot of activity. And most of those folks are going to the beach or they're going to the iconic Third Street Promenade to shop. And so, you know, with the decriminalization of, um, of vending and the challenges that come with that. There is a misperception. There are some vendors down there that are selling drugs, um, but we do get uh, a lot of um, um, resistance from the community for the, you know, the very reasons that you said, they're just trying to make a living. You know, they have a lot of children out there selling and the, the interactions are not, um, you know, they bring, you know, pretty significant conflict and risk to the um, officers in the in the interactions, not just in interactions with the vendors, but also with the public, who is coming to the aid of the um, of the vendors. And we have vendors cooking on the um, on the pier with flames and and using um, uh, uh, you know um, butane and other types of uh, uh, devices. And and we have a wooden deck with thousands of people on there, and just a significant risk. So, you know, we don't have the luxury to say we're not going to address this, you know, huge concern on the beach and the pier and the trash and things that's generated 
you know, we have a responsibility, number one, to keep the area safe for our visitors, keep the waters in the area clean. And so, you know, we, it's, it's important to have a partnership with the police department and the fire department for emergency access and, um, and egress and ingress purposes. And so, it, you know, it just brings about a lot of challenges that, you know, we, we tackle every day. And, and so your, your city is about eight to nine square miles, correct? Yeah. And, you know, for and hearing what you're what you have to deal with, you know, and I, you, I think you have like 12 officers, something to that effect. Um, you know, how do you handle dealing with, you know, the scooters, the Airbnb, the rental housing, the uh, street performers, plus your general 101 code enforcement everyday tasks? I mean, you guys must be just busy. <laughs> we are busy, Pete. And that's why it's so important to make sure that we continue to invest and reinforce with the staff, you know, how important they are, how much they're valued, because they have such, you know, a heavy load, um, uh, you know, here in Santa Monica. And so ensuring that they are, they know that they are appreciated, they are supported and that they have an advocate in me um, that shields them from some of the, um, the challenges to deal with the challenges personally so that we can make sure that they remain motivated and committed to what we do. You know, it's certainly not for the faint at heart uh, here in, in Santa Monica, but we have to, you know, we have to continue to make sure that we feed our staff so that they can go out and, and deal with these challenges. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not in the field, I'm in the office, right? And I have to make sure that I don't lose sight of what their experiences are in the field and make sure that they're equipped um, to deal with them and they get the breaks. You know, I expect obviously for them to put in a, a productive day's work, uh, but that doesn't mean working every minute of the day. They need that time to have those conversations with their coworkers and, and decompress. And we try to ensure that we we create an environment in the office that when they come in from you know the challenges that are that they encounter in the field that the pressure is not on for them that, you know they don't have that added pressure that we create an environment where they can decompress and it, it's important for us to make sure that we we do that. Um, you know, um, with tenant harassment and substandard housing and making sure that, that landlords are not overcharging rent. And, um, uh, you know, it's a lot, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot for them, you know, and I advocate for resources. I don't take on more than we can handle. Uh, so if, if, you know, I, I in listening to uh, my good friend Alvaro and his uh, interview, you know, we talked about taking stuff on, you know, the, the, the good and the bad of doing well, right? So when you do well, you know, people want to give you more. They want to give you more. Let code enforcement do it. They've done well. And, you know, we appreciate that, that we get that recognition that we do well, that they want to give us more. But um, it's my responsibility to make sure that we're not overloaded because more comes with the need maybe to have more staff or to, to change priorities. And so it's my responsibility to make sure that I communicate that to the administration that we can do, you know, we can do things that you need, more things that you need us to do, um, but we either need more staff or we need to reprioritize what we do. And and so usually that results in, um, 
and more staff. I will say that, you know, with the support of the city council, we just got four new positions uh, approved because of, um, you know, the needs in the in in the community. And so we've already in the last month hired three code enforcement, new code enforcement officers. And we're um, we're looking to fill the fourth position. So and that's, um, you know, that's how I try to tackle, you know, just the enormity of what we have. Um, and the diversity of what we have to deal with in a city like Santa Monica. And yeah, so you had a question, where can I get more information on landlords over uh, charging for rent? So city of Santa Monica has a rental cap, correct? Yes. There's regulations for your city, but uh, if you're in California, there's certain guides that are from the Department of Consumer Affairs. There's a handbook still floating out there that's still pretty relevant. Uh, you can get a free copy if you go to the uh, uh, California Department of Consumer Affairs. It's the Tenant Landlord Handbook. It talks about the rate increase in rent, what's allowable, what's not. Um, also, one thing that I did, I actually I stole this from you, Sharon. You probably don't know this. You actually, um, you know, you, you you said that you know you never take on more than you can handle. You know, and that really resonated because you know as new laws and ordinances come, who's going to do them? Code enforcement, whether it be mask enforcement, massage parlors dispensaries, Airbnb. I mean, these are things that weren't around in, when you started in 1990, 1990, 1990 something, you know? Right. Yeah, they, they, they weren't around, you know, and now they're, they're prevalent, you know? And one thing that I took from you, and I, and I use it sometimes when I explain this to my city councils, I said, look, uh, if you buy a nice big pickup truck, you can only load it so much before it becomes inefficient and it's not performing the way it's supposed to uh, you overload them so what's the best solution get a second truck right. you know you need a second truck you may need a second driver a second supervisor you yeah. you know you and you have to you know you, there has to be uh, a performance measure for for us because you know um when i started in the city of montebello california very political city um i had a, a supervisor well she's a supervisor in, in another city now but when i got her she was like Pete, I have what, 1,700 cases. I'm drowning. I'm like, you're not drowning, girl. You're the Titanic already. <laughs> you're at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> you're past drowning, you know? So, right. um, so you know, we, we, we lessened her load and, you know, um, we lessened her load and, you know, we, we did uh, get rid of a lot of old stale cases for like that were three years old. You know, somebody complained about overgrown vegetation. It's three years old. I'm like, I'm not going to deal with it. It's, it's yeah. past special limitations. You know what? Let's check it off. Let's lessen our load to make it more manageable. And, you know, one thing I tell officers is don't concentrate on your caseload. Concentrate on today's assignments. You know, if you have 10 inspections today, work on those 10. Do the best you can for those 10. Don't worry about your 300, 400, 100 to 1,000 cases you have because yeah. it's going to drive you nuts. It's unmanageable at that point. So yeah. you can do the best you can. And if if you need more resources, that's something that the manager yourself has to advocate for, has to go to bat for. You know, yeah. maybe your director's like, oh, there's no budget. You know, I always say there's always room. To, if you're that good, they'll find they'll find budget. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, you know, so this is one of the things I learned from you. You you know, you're, you've been able to create programs and 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 get things done. And I think that's why you're in the city of Santa Monica. You know, we look at, you know, the reason I invite people like you or Alvaro and, and others that we have scheduled is because we want folks that know what they're doing, been around the block, they've seen it all, you know, and 
And I love hearing from you. And I love the younger people that aspire to be the next Sharon Guidry's or the next Alvaro's or the next Marcus Kellum's to, to say, hey, you know what? That's the route they took. You know, we don't talk about adversary, you know, adversary a lot here. But, you know, sometimes you, you have to know the struggle, whether, you know, it's a city manager that didn't want to shake the boat or didn't want to, you know, tell council. Because I sit through a lot of these, um, you know, I go to the League of Cities and talk to city councils and you hear two things. Either code enforcement doesn't do anything yeah. or code enforcement harasses too much. Too much. You know? Yeah. And a lot of times it's you, you have just have to educate your council on what it is that we do so they understand how much work they do. Once they get that, they realize, you know, yeah. Sharon, you need more resources. That's yeah. why you get three more yeah. officers. Yeah. Yeah. The performance measures, Pete, is so important. Right. Uh, and to tell you a little story, when I first came to Santa Monica, I, I was a month into, you know, managing the operation and. Uh, one of my admin staff came to my office door and, and said, you know, there's a Rick here to see you. And, you know, you, you don't just drop into the code enforcement office. It's, you know, it, you, you have to know where it is. It's not open to the public. So, you know, I said, Rick, you know, I, I, I'm not expecting a Rick. And I said, Rick who? And and um, and the staff said, Rick Cole. And I said, oh, my God, like that's the city manager. Bring, you know, bring him in. I had city manager kind of waiting in bay to get to get into my office. And so so Rick came into my office and he says, Sharon, I know you just, you know, got here. I know you've only been here a month, but code enforcement is in chaos. And I want to know what your plan is for code enforcement. This was literally um, 30 days in and um, you know, this impromptu drop in from the city manager. And so I said, well, I can tell you, you know, what my plan is. And I got up and I went to my whiteboard, you know, here I have a whiteboard wall and I did, you know, what my immediate assessment was in the 30 days coming in with 21 years of experience, I could, you know, immediately see some, some immediate tweaks that would make a huge difference. And some of those I had already started to implement, schedule changes and assignments and, and areas and how, how we were deploying our resources. And, um, and so I did this whiteboard presentation uh, for Rick with, you know, where my, um, you know, thought process was with, with delivering what I had already been told upon hire, you know, was, was needed. And, and he left that office and said, you know, uh, left my office and he said, you know, you got this. If you need any resource, if you need additional officers, let me know. I'll give you additional officers. I said, I won't come to you and ask you for more staff resources if I don't need them. But right now I can't tell you if I need, I need them because I'm still evaluating. And once I determine that we have effective and, e and the most efficient you know, processes and that the staff is putting in a productive day's work and then we still can't manage the, um, the caseload, that's when I'll come and tell you and ask you for um, you know, additional resources because you know, I'm responsible. I don't just want folks sitting around to say, I have 20, I have 30 code enforcement officers. You know, we, have, we have work we need to do and we need to do that uh, efficiently. And so being ready uh, and knowing what, what we need to do, you know, is so, so important. And when you talk about, you know, kind of the, the journey, 
I could not have written my script and, and placed myself in this seat, you know, 30 years ago, you know, as a, as a, you know, I, I was parentless at 15. I lost, um, lost my parents at 15. I've been on my own for uh, since I was 15 and, um, and then had two, two children pretty young and a single mom. And, you know, I just wanted to be able to survive and provide some kind of stability but uh, some really special people saw something in me and invested in me uh, and and in order to help me achieve, you know, my goals. And I didn't know at the time really what they are. They kept evolving over over time. And as I grew and, and loved this profession, wanted to have a significant impact, you know, when I finally decided to lay up, up my hat and, um, and my, my badge and what my legacy is, is that Sharon contributed, you know, something great to, to the profession and she contributed to the people and, and, and helped to, to lay a pathway for other people to come into the profession and to grow and develop where they may not have ever thought about, you know, code enforcement. And so, you know, it's really important for me to pay it forward and give back and, and, and look up and listen to my staff and, um, and, and what they want to do and what they want to accomplish and make sure that I help, help that, that um, happen. And, you know, one of, the, one of the reasons why we put this together was, you know, there's not a lot of people that have mentors, even when their own department, you know, I've been in cities where I, I didn't have anybody, so I had to kind of just go at it myself. I've had great mentors, you know, and I had great role models. Uh, you know, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, you were part of the first ever women leaders in code enforcement discussion. It's, it's you know, um, there, there's not that many folks that, you know, that contribute as much as the participants of that program. I mean, that program was off the, the hook. I'm, I'm a guy and I was like, <laughs> you know, I, I was uh, gaslit, you know, um, and, and it's and it's 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 crazy that, um, you know, there's a lot and, and hearing in the conversations we sat in those rooms and you hear people saying that they didn't have a role model and thanking everybody on those panels for giving them inspiration. You're one of them. And, you know, and sitting here, I, I, I you know, I've known you for years. But uh, and you sat on the first ever um, code enforcement manager roundtable when we did it at the conference years ago. Yeah. And I remember, um, you know, we we're sitting there and I had the all stars of, uh, of code enforcement, which is funny because when I got hired for the city of Garden Grove, it's the same people that were on my panel, <laughs> you know, and, and it, you know, and, and it, 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 it's a great feeling to be among, you know, people like-minded individuals that really care about the profession and moving the profession forward because us as you know i would say we're seasoned enough where we 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 get to you know um you know include people in our profession yeah. you know we we look at new people coming in and say do i want this person to to you know be part of my team do i want to invest in this person and and you get to mold these people to be well-rounded individuals because the best thing that you do as a supervisor or manager, you know, I've gone to different jurisdictions where, you know, I started volunteer programs that everybody got hired somewhere or another place. Yeah. And it makes me feel good, just like my children graduating school. It's just a good feeling. Or um, officer that was struggling become the supervisor. Yeah. And you have the same experiences where you had, you had superstars that moved on and just became 
better than they when you found them and you contributed yeah. that and yeah. i think you know having that mentality and having the you know and of course we we get those um folks that you know we you know we struggle with them and sometimes the pathway of success wasn't with you you know but they had to find elsewhere and sometimes they find it and you know um i learned a lot from uh from a supervisor that i didn't particularly get along with so yeah. i learned two things one how not to be like that and how not to make my employees feel like that yeah. and second you know i i learned that you know how did that person get there i mean they got there a certain way whether it's because they were just rock stars in their own world or you know they they uh had the ability to um you know, execute and use their staff efficiently in order to, you know, to promote. And and you, you look at these things and, you know, and now you're in a position, like I, I would say your your staff, you have good staff. You've got a good lineup. I, I wouldn't do that. You know, I look at, you know like I'm our so fame. You know? Oh my yeah. God. Well, it's, it's not, it's, you know what, um, like Alvaro said, you know, you, you know, you, you have the Red Sox, he has the Yankees because you know, it's yeah. Yeah. But it's expected that you're hiring all stars and people that that come in with a wealth of experience. And even if they didn't have experience, you saw something in them with your with with your um, you being seasoned. You're like, that's what I'm looking for. That's the fit for this community. They might not be a fit for Lakewood, but they're a fit for here. Yeah. You know? It's so important. I think, you know, I've been really fortunate to be able to develop code enforcement programs, you know, in multiple cities from the, from scratch, you know, um, and, and also transforming, you know, code enforcement programs. But when I look at where my greatest accomplishments, accomplishments are, it's in the people that I've been able to work with and contribute to their growth and their development and them achieving their their goals and um you know i can i can create a program in, in my sleep um but the investment and the time in people is what it really is the most rewarding and it it helps to best serve the community who wakes up every day and expects something from us and um and investing in the people that's going to deliver uh, and try and meet those expectations is so important. And of all the things I've been able to, been fortunate to do in my 26 years in code enforcement, it is uh, investing in the people and seeing them in management positions now, code enforcement managers, code enforcement supervisors, building permit supervisors. I mean, just all, all across um, is, is what I, um, what I, you know, just enjoy the most. And yeah, you know, and it's it's funny that you say you can create a program in your sleep because <laughs> when you see uh, effective code supervisors and managers, you see some 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 are very um, program oriented. You know, creating programs. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's 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 uh, it's not an easy thing. You mm -hmm. know, some people can create programs, but they can't execute. Some people right. are great executors, but they can't create a program. Right. Other ones are great at putting people together. And other people are great to like, you know, the, the thing that I learned a long time ago, you know, when they asked me, what's my management style? I said, look, I'm a baseball coach. I'm like Tommy Lasorda. You know what? I have a first baseman, second base, third base. Not everybody can be your shortstop. That's right. You know? And, That's and right. you have to, tr you have to basically, you know, practice with them differently. You know, like a, a pitcher is going to practice his swing. I mean, his arm, you know, where a shortstop is going to do a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, what do you call yeah. it? A sweep up uh, on the ball. So. Yeah, they're all and, different. They all have different needs. 
And I say all the time that, you know, we are all a piece to the puzzle. And it takes the whole, every piece put together in order to do what we do. And when there's, and no piece is more important than the other. You know, I may be the manager and only difference between me and my staff is that they pay me a little bit more. Um, but they are equally as important because they, what their job is, is important to the whole and to the whole picture. And when one thing is missing, you're looking and the first thing you notice is that, is that there's a missing piece. And so from the admin staff that am, that that processes our invoices and order supplies to the call center folks who take those five, 10,000 calls a year, um, you know, from the, from the community wanting something to the officers that are going to go out and do the investigation. And then to me, who's going to help develop the ordinances and communicate with the city manager and the um, city council. We are all equally important to the whole. No. And so we're coming up on our hour. Isn't that crazy? We, it seems like, you know, I, I, we thought we didn't have enough material here. So I always love talking to you. So it's easy. <laughs> no, and, and you know what? These are, these are candid, you know, it's, uh, we, I love, you know, just hearing your stories so other people can be inspired and, you know, and if some folks may be the next sharing Gidry, they want to sit in your spot and you know what? Your spot wasn't, ju it wasn't just handed to you. You earned it. It was and, not you know, and it's uh, 20 some plus years of experience. And, you know, that's, you know, you learn a lot. You have a lot of uh, a lot of experience coming in from different jurisdictions, uh, dealing with different types of employees. And like you said, you know, um, like you just, you know, I like to sum things up. You know, you you want to you want to build a pepperoni pizza. Can't do it without the cheese, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah. could if you're lactose intolerant, yeah. but it's not yeah. the same, you know. Yeah. When I came um, in young and, and a female in a male-dominated profession and trying to, to grow in the profession, it, it was tough. But we are so diverse now, and I think um, it's just such a wonderful thing to see and be a part of because we're serving diverse communities, and it's important for us to have diverse uh, staff. And so, yeah, there's been a remarkable change over the years, and it's a great time for folks to get involved and continue to grow um, in the profession. And um, and I'm just excited about what, what we see happening. And, and I love it. And th thank you for empowering the next uh, generation of women, you know. And, and it's funny because I never really looked at you as, uh, you know, a code enforcement female. I just looked at you as a code enforcement person. But... You know, just like myself, I never really thought of myself as a Latino code enforcement, but I need to use that and empower other, you know, um, people that say, hey, you know what, we, we need folks like us. We need uh, the women uh, in code enforcement to empower other women to say, hey, we together, we can do something great. And, great. you know, and we think so differently. But uh, other than that, uh, we do have, I'm going to do a shameless plug. We have a, a, a what do you call it, um, a training this Thursday. It's an officer safety training. It's more focused on the, um, the what to do so you don't get into a jam and then have to fight your way out of it. It's like being able to be awareness. You know, if you get, get into a situation, the, the pre-awareness assessment before you actually get yourself in trouble and how you can, what, what steps you can do to identify these. It's going to be this Thursday. I'll send you, you know what? I'll send you a comp, you know, yeah, you know send you a comp, check it out. You know, it's, yeah. uh, we use the same platform that we did the women in leadership, um, you know, so we have uh, Gary Whiteson, who's on, been on Dr. Oz. 
Uh, he talks about autism awareness and uh, protocols. Um, we have Kevin Hurst. He's a nationally uh, uh, speak national speaker. Talks about animal safety, animal control signs, and then we have the Federal Bureau of Investigations talking about uh, human trafficking. So I mean, we have a great lineup and oh yeah, six six hours, and so I'll send you something for. Yes, and I really appreciate it. you being on yeah. here today. I love it. Um, listen me. for this on podcast. It's going to be on um, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. So after after this so thank you i appreciate your time and as always it's always a pleasure seeing you and i will see you and either if i don't see you at the ace conference i'll see you at the KCO conference or at icc i'll see you somewhere though see you somewhere yes thank you pete take care all right thank you everybody thank everybody for tuning in and oh let me see a real quick question so you had any type of templates for sops if you want to email me uh, you can definitely email me. I'm going to put my email right here. I have a template for SOP. Anybody needs it, um, see, you can orally I'm going to put in my email. And oh, so this is my email. Uh, you can definitely email me. I'll send you a template. Um, we had a question. Any thoughts of virtual code enforcement, employment? Uh, that was something new that um, that came out of COVID. Uh, there is a place for it, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, a lot of times you do need to go out and verify certain certain things. Uh, let me see. Somebody said that you are an American role model, Sharon. Wow. Look at that. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Mr. Uh, Mr. Lemus. And Mr. Jose said thank you. And we really appreciate everybody for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Um, within uh, next month. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.